couple times a year, we do this thing called a sermon slam. If you don't know what a sermon slam, it's like poetry slam. It's like edgy. It's really cool. We get like five leaders uh, from the church to speak. So they have five minutes. Now, um, not everybody here is as cruel as I am. I would have a buzzer. Um, I would have like a little person come and and usher you off stage at five minutes. Um, But I'm like that. I'm weird. Um, speaking of weird, uh, it's really hard to speak in front of people. Um, everybody knows it's like everybody's worst nightmare is to public speaking. So only a psychopath enjoys holding this microphone and speaking to a, a group of people. So I want you guys to keep that in mind um, as we welcome the speakers to the pulpit um, and give them a nice, you know, warm welcome as they come and as they leave. Um, but this uh, year's topic is prayer. And I'm excited because I know that God can use people to speak to people. I know that he wants to use us to speak to others. And I know that everybody put in a lot of hard work and effort into writing these sermons. They're prayered up and they're ready to go. Are you guys ready to hear from them? All right. Are you sure? All right. Our first speaker we're going to welcome up is Blake. Blake, come on up. Good morning. Uh, Nice to see everybody. Uh, If you don't know me, uh, my name's Blake, and you might recognize me as one of the parents of a million children here in the first row. I'm sorry about the whispering and the noise. Um, So today, I'm talking about prayer. Uh, Chris assigned me the topic of talking about prayer, and I was a little bit intimidated uh, initially. Um, But uh, I want to talk a little bit about my perspective as a father and talking about prayer. And I want to call out that many of us in this room have yet to be called into biological fatherhood. Many of us in this room will never be called to biological fatherhood. And I want to call out that that's, uh, I agree with the Apostle Paul, who says that that's not just okay. That's not just permissible. It's actually a celebrated uh, expression of our faith is one of not having children and of making spiritual children. And so I want to call that out and acknowledge that up front. But the fatherhood journey for me personally has shaped a lot about how I think about God and especially how I think about prayer. And so I hope that you can benefit from that here. Um, Also, I want to call out that the rest of this time, I'm going to be comparing myself to God a lot. I'm sorry. I know it's not a good look at all, but all right. Um, All right. So what I've found is that when you look at Jesus, he kind of has two different modes of prayer. One that I think we're really familiar with, which is like go off in the wilderness prayer. Like, a lot of things are happening. Jesus all of a sudden walks out into the middle of nowhere and just disappears for, like, a day and prays alone. And I think that we're really familiar with that as um, Christians here in the Western church. We kind of picture prayer being go in your prayer closet, kneel down, and spend time alone one-on-one with God. Um, I'm not great at that type, but that is what I picture prayer primarily as. I think that's kind of how it's communicated to us. But if you look at Jesus, he actually has this other mode of prayer that he does as much, if not more, which I'm going to call like pop-up father prayers. Like one time the disciples, they're really geeked because they just cast out a bunch of demons. They come back and Jesus kind of corrects them. And all of a sudden mid-sentence cuts himself off. It goes, Father, I praise you so much that you're doing this with these people. And you're like, what is that thing? Like, and he does this not just once. He does it, he'll be literally in an argument with the Pharisees. And all of a sudden he interrupts himself and starts praying to God. What is this pop-up father prayer? And Why don't, at least I don't do it. Do you do that? A lot of people don't do this thing. Um, And I want to know, why is that? What is it? um, Have we lost something? Or is this something that we should maybe uh, emulate? Um, And personally, I think the reason that we don't do that thing is actually because we have a very specific perception of God as Father. And specifically, we're perceiving it as people from the West. We all live, you know, post the Enlightenment. We are Western people. And that's how we view God as a Western Father. There's some pros and cons to that thing. But 
Jesus, when he's talking about God, is actually talking about a very different type of father. He calls God Father 154 times in the Gospels. It's his primary identity that he uses to describe God. And when he does that, he's actually not describing Ward Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. He's not describing a Western father. He's actually describing a very specific type of father that really the world had only known this one type. So what is that specific type of father? And what's the difference between Eastern and Western? I'm really glad you asked because that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. All right. Oh, no. Look at these slides. They're a disaster. The JPEG compressed really badly. Okay. Um, let's see if I can read it. Um, all right. So I, I wanted to do a compare and contrast of two fathers and both named Don. Um, one from the greatest television show of all time, which would be Don Draper from Mad Men, and one from the greatest movie of all time, which would be Don Corleone from The Godfather. Um, there's no argument against that. That is the truth. Those are the two best. Um, all right, so what I love is that Don Draper, I think, very much epitomizes this Western father that maybe we have as an archetype in our head. And then Don Corleone, I think the story of The Godfather is really about transitioning of an Eastern family into a Western family and the pain of that thing. So I think they represent the types really well. So really quickly... Um, Let's talk about West versus East. Um, really, the core difference between a Western family or Western view, view mindset and Eastern has to do with the West is individualistic. It's all about me or it's all about you and us as atomized individuals. As opposed to the East, it's much more pluralistic or I'd say uh, collectivist, where we're thinking more as a unit, a unit, a tribe or as a family. So we say that. So Don Draper, when it comes to work, how does he define himself? Primarily, his identity comes from work. The whole show is about madmen, advertising agencies. As opposed to Don Corleone, when he thinks about work, it's really just fuel for his family's mission. In this instance, it's like murder. But there are other cool missions that you could have. Um, all right. Uh, uh, second, let's talk about family. Don Draper sees his family as a collection of individuals who need to be kind of optimized or ignored. Um, but it's essentially a tension of individual interests. As opposed to Don Corleone sees his family as primarily one team accomplishing in one direction. Uh, when he thinks about home, Don Draper feels entitled to a sense of relaxing when he gets home. As opposed to Don Corleone, he sees his home as headquarters for his mission or headquarters for his work. Um, when it comes to children, Don Draper sees his children really as a liability to be juxtaposed against his career. As opposed to Don Corleone, he sees his children as teammates, their assets that he's going to be on mission with for the rest of his life. And then finally, in terms of the goal of life, Don, you know, Don Draper, he sees the goal of life as being enlightenment. Spoiler alert, that's really the path that he's on. As opposed to Don Corleone, he sees the mission as advancing the family's mission in life. So obviously, these are diametrically opposed. And there's good fathers and bad fathers on both of these. Um, and I'm not here to say that one is absolutely better than the other. Um, in fact, if you think about, like, a lot of what we struggle with, with, I'd say, the patriarchy, really comes from Eastern fathers going wrong. Um, and I'd say a lot of what we see in terms of absenteeism in fatherhood it really comes from Western fathers going wrong. Um, but in reality, when we see Jesus talking about father 154 times in the Bible, he's not talking about Don Draper. He's talking about the mode of father of Don Corleone. Um, this kind of Eastern collectivist head of a team that he's trying to advance all of the good as opposed to just individual good. Um, so we need to really ask, what does that look like and how does that feel? So for Chandler and I both, I think that we've 
slowly started to kind of experiment of what would it look like for our Western family um, to slowly start to eke our way a little bit closer into more of an Eastern view of family. Um, in reality, we're faking it. We live in the West, um, but we're trying to kind of work our way into that a little bit. So I want to talk about what that looks like and what I've learned about prayer through that. Um, I promise that relevance is coming. I got to say it, which is kind of fun. All right, um, but I want to talk about what I learned about prayer from that experience. Um, uh, if you want to go back with the pictures, if we have those pictures. Yes, all right. Here's me trying my darndest to try to figure out this Eastern view of fatherhood. So what I do is every week we have four oldest kids. Each of them gets a day that they get to go to work with me. I'm trying to communicate to them that, you know, work is not something that's just for me. Work is something that our family does to fuel our mission. And so we homeschool. So the kids will do homeschool in the morning with me at work. And then in the afternoons they, like, code or, you know, do some art or music or something like that. And so they, throughout the day, I'm with my kids almost exclusively. I'm very rarely alone in my week. Um, you can see there are pictures of business trips. Uh, typically, I try to take a kid with me on a business trip. Even in terms of hobbies, we're trying to combine hobbies. That's something that uh, my parents actually did incredibly well. My parents are here today. Uh, they did incredibly well. We adopted family hobbies together. So rather than all of us splitting apart into different, you know, soccer or baseball practices, we did boat, you know, boating and water sports. And you can do it all together. And so we've been trying to kind of eke our way into this Eastern view. And I want to talk about what have I learned about prayer and what does that have to do with these little pop-up prayers? Because in reality, let's go on to the next slide. Here are kind of seven points, and then I promise I'm done. I think I'm getting over five. Um, all right. First off, um, I don't personally wish that my kids spent more time with me. Um, that's because I'm around them literally all the time. How would we pray if we knew that God was next to us all day while we work? I think this is the biggest aha for me, which is that I think we picture maybe God going off and doing more important things. And maybe at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, that's when we can connect with him. That's not, that is a Western view of God the Father. An Eastern view of God the Father is that God is an ever-present mentor, literally by your side all day long. So when you're at your desk, God is sitting there right next to you. It's not that you need to make more time for God. He's right there. You just got to like look up for a second and say, hey, he's right there next to you. Very interested in how you're processing the world. Um, two, I love it when my kids ramble about whatever's on their minds. I have plenty of time. Do you believe that God has time for you? Do you think of him as a scarce resource as kind of, or as always there, interested in even what random thoughts you're having? Three, some of my favorite moments with my kids happen for like three minutes in between things. You know, we'll need to go to the bathroom or something like that. What if God valued those little three-minute increments as much as I value those with my kids? Maybe he really would love to just connect with you for three minutes as you're kind of going to the bathroom or something like that. Four, uh, I love it when my kids are so focused on coding or music or writing that they completely forget that I exist for hours at a time. What if God feels that same way towards your work? Maybe he doesn't feel like he's competing with the work that you love. Maybe he's actually delighted in sitting next to you and watching you love your work. Five, I love listening to music of, uh, music or podcasts with my kids and pausing and discussing it. Maybe we should try consuming content with our father. I think sometimes we get this thing of we should stop, you know, having all this content. Instead, we should be praying. What if God's like, actually, no, I want you to listen to this episode, and I want to pause it and say, hey, what do you think about that? Is that true? Does that come from me? Number six, each day with each of my kids is very different. I care about their unique preferences. Do you think that maybe God cares about your preferences and how you connect? And then finally, I love it when my kids interact well with siblings or strangers. He's not I'm not competitive about that. And I don't think God's competitive about that. He, it fills his heart to watch you connect with other people. Um, 
So I hope this helps introduce a new style of prayer for you, this kind of interrupt and pop-up style prayer as maybe a, a celebrated, maybe viable way to pray to God. Um, and I hope that this can be said of you as well as of all of us, um, that the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Thank you. Well done, well done. I think uh, Blake and I have the same uh, time reference uh, when it comes to preaching. <laughs> Um, it's good. So good. Uh, just want to congratulate you on um, mentioning Ward Cleaver. Ten of us know who he is. Uh, ten of us are old enough to remember you completely lost everyone else. Good thing the rest of your preaching was amazing. <laughs> We're going to invite the next speaker up. It is Aaliyah. Would you welcome Aaliyah? church family. Um, I am no psychopath. Public speaking is not my thing. Um, but I, my name is Aaliyah. I'm really excited to be here today because I'm going to be sharing a personal testimony with you. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, relevance will come later. Um, <laughs> I hope everyone works that into their speech today. <laughs> so five years ago, I started college at a small private Christian university. I was really excited to start um, a community there of spiritual, like-minded, um, growth-driven people. But I was kind of disappointed, guys. There were very like performative people there. They weren't actually focused on digging deep. Um, there, it was just very dry spiritually. So I became very negative um, about my experiences there. I kind of became isolated. I wasn't excited to really reach out to anybody on my campus. Um, and so that was kind of how I lived the first two years there. I was just kind of by myself, negative. Um, and then I decided, you know what? Instead of being negative, I'm gonna pray. Um, and so every day I prayed. It was maybe a one-sentence prayer. It was maybe a journal prayer. Um, and I just decided to pray, interceding into the lives of uh, the faculty, the students, um, the spiritual climate. Um, and if you guys don't know what intercession is, it's simply praying on the behalf of somebody um, or some sort of cause. Um, and we see this a lot in the Bible. Uh, Moses was a big intercessor for um, the Israelites. Paul often asks the churches to pray to do this. Um, specifically in Ephesians 6.18, um, Paul says, Ask the Ephesians, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. So it's not a stretch to say we should be doing this as well. Um, so... Back to the story, I was praying a lot, um, and the first thing I noticed was I became way more positive about the things around me. Like, I was genuinely seeking the best for the circumstances. I wasn't negative anymore. Um, and then prayed all through the summer, and then that my junior year, I was studying abroad, um, and I, I was very far away from 
uh, campus. I was in Ecuador, actually. Campus was in Indiana. Um, and I continued praying. Halfway through the study abroad trip, um, one morning I was praying, and I felt a shift in the atmosphere all the way from Ecuador for my campus on in Indiana. Um, I didn't know what that meant, so I kept praying. I was praying for about an hour, actually. Um, and finally, I saw an image of angels walking the loop of my campus. And the loop is, uh, it's like this inner sidewalk. It was college speak for a college term. So um, I saw angels walking the loop and I heard God say, the battleground is clear and ready for harvesting. And I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I didn't know what that meant really, um, but I was like, something must be happening. Like I must be praying into the right thing. Um, so I had asked another friend actually, to, I invited her to pray with me um, kind of during that time. And she, I had called her, we hadn't talked in about uh, a month. And she, um, I caught up with her and I was like, hey, I, this is what I saw. I saw angels, I heard God say this. And she said, Aaliyah, I'm actually meeting with a group of people that are praying these same things into campus. And we actually just walked the loop, like praying those same things. So at that time, I knew something was like going on. I knew I was praying for the right thing. Um, so kept praying. January, I got back to campus. I started my own group. We discovered two other, two or three other groups that were meeting. In total, it was 200 people separately meeting, praying for this same thing that all, the majority of the group started that month or the month after I saw the angels walking the loop um, and saying the battleground was ready for harvesting. Um, so it was really exciting to meet together, worship together with those people, minister to other people on our campus with those 200 people. Um, but the most exciting thing was that I got to partner with God and be a part of like bringing that forward just through praying through interceding for my campus. And um, so this is real, guys. Like prayer works um, like a lot. Um, so closing thought, um, if you're feeling hopeless about anything in your life, pray. Like the least that can happen is that your negative perspective changes into a kingdom perspective. That is so good. Um, I'm going to say a lot of things and relevance will never come. I just want you guys to know that it's going to be completely irrelevant. Um, but what is not irrelevant is our next speaker. Uh, Anne is going to come up and she's going to preach the house down. I just know that fire is just going to fall on us. So uh, no pressure. Anne, come on up. She is our welcome to the pulpit. Anne, who is a prayer warrior? You know her. We love her. Thank you, Rob. Hello. Um, that was awesome. Angels. Angels. We are living in a great, great time. A great time to be alive. Um, I am so thankful that, um, that I'm here in this church with you people because I, I really believe we're changing the city and the, and the state and the nation. Um, in 2012, 
I got down on my hands and knees in my office and prayed to God because I was um, addicted to alcohol. I couldn't, um, I couldn't stop when I started, and I wanted to, but I couldn't. So two years later, I, I got involved with a deliverance ministry, and I was prayed for, and it was great. You know, she said, what, what, you, you, you want to, um, anyway, sorry. Um, when she prayed for me, something changed in me. And I effortlessly didn't drink for seven months. And after the seven months, she told me, well, just don't drink for a little while. She didn't understand that the pull of alcohol for some people. So anyway, so after seven months, I took a beer, which led to another beer, and then to another glass of wine, and then to another vodka and tonics. And before long, I was flying again. And I hated it, but I couldn't stop. And so come 2020, the lockdown, everything's... Um, Everything's changing. The world did change then, and it's still changing. But what happened was I was involved in a prayer team, and I was praying, and we were going to different churches and praying. And um, at the last one we were, the last one we were at, the, some man came late, and he said, where's, gonna, where's the next prayer going to be? What church? And he said, oh, man, the church canceled on me because the churches were shutting down which is really interesting. The bars were open, grocery stores are open, but the churches are, the churches are shutting down. So that should speak loudly to us too because we are the answer. We are the answer to what the world needs. So um, anyway, I went to this prayer meeting and um, there I met Karen, who's in the, the head of our uh, prayer team here at City Church. And I, knew, I, 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 felt, I felt something a connection and she told me that she goes out praying she'd been praying for years on Wednesdays so we started I started I said can I go with you and she said sure so we started going out praying and that praying it was not just praying it was like it was like repenting I mean I was raised Catholic you know I you know went to confession whatever and that was I guess the repentance but I never really looked at my life in a uh, you know a like searched my heart to find out what was going on in my heart. So this started a process in me. And in seven months, I, uh, I decided I was going to go into AA. I walked into AA, and, um, and it helped me. The working the steps really helped me get my mind straight. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ that changes us. And he never fails. He never leaves. He was right there with me. It's been two years since I've had a drink. I have no desire to drink. I know that God, and I, and, thank you. I know that it's prayer that changed me. It was prayer, because prayer is a touchstone to God. It's your heart to the Father and the Father to you. It's, it's not magic. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that no one can take away from you and no one can give you because it's yours and his. And he so much wants to hear from us. 
He doesn't care that we have needs, that we have problems, that we're not perfect. That's another thing. I dealt with perfectionism. If I wasn't perfect, I was going to hell. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm still not perfect. But, man, I know the Lord loves me, and I know that he loves you, and I know that he loves those people out there, and I know that we can reach them through his love by speaking truth to them. And speaking truth is what changed my life, and, and prayer is what started that. So thank you. So good, so good. Thank you for sharing. Next up is my man, Sean. Let's welcome him to the pulpit. He's going to come and preach the house down. Sean. Uh, I am a psychopath that likes to get up in front and talk, talk in front of people. So, uh, here's, here's a couple things you need to know about me, uh, just so we can set the groundwork, right? Uh, number one, I've only been coming here for like nine months, uh, but I like to joke that I've been here for two weeks. Um, number two is uh, I use phrases uh, that don't mean exactly what they sound like. So, if I say something stupid, that means that it's really, really cool. And I'm not from Boston, but I use wicked all the time. So um, those are the things you need to know about me. Uh, the last thing is uh, that I've seen a heckin' lot of cool stuff happen through prayer in the last year. Um, but contrary to that, about five-ish months ago, I was probably the biggest skeptic you've ever seen about God doing literally anything through prayer. Um, so a couple of you guys uh, that may have known me when I first got here would hear me say things like, yeah, Brandon, that's not smart to pray for. Uh, that literally just won't happen. So you shouldn't do that. I was proven wrong. Um, but uh, I, I just want to start off with this fun uh, little scripture to look at. If we have it, if not, it's okay. Uh, I've got it. But it's 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Uh, it says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So let's start there. today, Satan. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've got this, I've got this friend that goes here, uh, two of them, actually. Uh, their names are Devin and Mackie. If you guys know them, they're super cool. Uh, but so I was, I was up here greeting one day and my buddy Devin comes up to me and he's just looking like the most distraught I've ever seen him. Just absolutely just head down, just looking sad. I was like, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I just feel bad. I was like, you're a liar. You know, you tell me what's going on, buddy. Like, I was the best man in your wedding. We're going to hash this out, you know. And he's, he's like, I don't, I don't know. I was like, dude, what the heck is going on? This is not you. And he goes and he says, well, um, honestly, for the past 
couple months, uh, my wife has been having seizures every Sunday. Um, she's not able to make it to church. She's not able to get into community. And it is just killing us because I can't come because I'm taking care of her. She can't come because she's having seizures. Like, it's, it's the worst. And I was immediately like, okay, um, not comfortable, but I'm just going to gather some people and we're going to pray right after service for this. Um, so I got somewhere around 12-ish people. Um, the details are a little funny there. But uh, right after service, I got a bunch of us and we just went down into the prayer room, which we have a prayer room, just so you guys know. Um, and we went down into the prayer room and we prayed for, gosh, it must have been somewhere in out, around an hour, maybe more. Just praying, you know, God, look, if we need Mackie to be healed uh, because, because this sucks. This sucks. And we know you don't want that from her. And it was just an hour of us just petitioning the Lord. Hey, come on. We want this. We know that this is what you want. Like, let, let's see it happen. We want it. And uh, the crazy thing is uh, she's having significantly less seizures, not only on Sundays, but just in general. And, like, what, two weeks ago, she was up here leading worship, which is a trigger for her seizures. And, and she's just, like, killing it. She's feeling great. It's, it's stupid. Um, so, uh, he, here's the thing, and this is where, um, relevance is coming, I don't know, people say that for some reason, um, but here's where it all comes back together, right? Um, that's just God showing up because he cares about us and because we asked him to show up. So, here's, here's what I want for us to, like, take from this, because I could just say, oh, yeah, that's great, like, that's a great story. Here's where, here's where I want us to, like, take, take the meat and, like, put it in the stew. Like, here's, here's where we start practicing, right? When we hear that somebody's sick, when he, we hear that somebody's having a bad time, when we hear that somebody's hurt, like they pulled a hamstring, um, when, <laughs> when, whenever, whenever any of that stuff happens, uh, the thing that makes me angry is when we sit here and we go, okay, I'll pray for you. I don't ever want to hear that, uh, and I'll call you out because I'm up here. Um, but I don't ever want to hear that. What I want to hear is, okay, let's go find a spot, and let's go pray for it right now. Um, because God can and does move through that, and it's going to be absolutely wicked. So let's do that. Good job, Sean. It was so good up until the end when you mentioned my hamstring. That's when the spirit, I saw the Holy Spirit leave when you, <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to be a part of this. <laughs> so good. I'm also having a little jealousy because everyone keeps referencing Chris's little catchphrase. And it's fine. It's fine. Um, we're going to welcome up our last speaker. Um, I know her well. She is my lovely bride. Welcome to the pulpit, Anna. So when we were talking about, we're going to 
we're going to talk about prayer today. I started reflecting on the fact that there are a lot of times that I wasn't confident that the Lord would hear my prayer. And I don't know if any of you have been like that, or maybe you know a mature Christian and they just pray the most powerful, beautiful, scripture-steeped prayers. And you're like, dang, I'm not like that. I want to be more like that. Or maybe you don't pray at all because you just don't think that you have a powerful prayer to pray. So if that's you, that's been me too. You're not alone. But God showed me some things in scripture that really encouraged me and gave me the confidence to know that he hears me. Um, The first scripture that he showed me was Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I love this scripture, but y'all, he could have just said, I can do all that you ask of me. But he didn't. He was like, you know what? These guys are going to be doubters. So I'm going to say I can do above all. And then he was like, you know what? Let me throw a little extra sauce on there. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power, the Holy Spirit power that works in us. And that so encouraged me. And that should have been enough. And it was enough in some cases. But what really sealed the deal for me was when God showed me a little story about the centurion. In Luke 7, 2 through 10, it says, There is a centurion servant whom his master highly valued. He was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Y'all, I heard this scripture so many times over my life of being a Christian, and I read this scripture so many times before I noticed something. That centurion hadn't even seen Jesus. He hadn't been face-to-face with him. He hadn't been in his presence. He didn't know him. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have knowledge of the scriptures. And yet, he knew that God would answer his prayer. He knew that he would be heard. What if we all just knew, like the centurion, that our prayer would be heard? What would our world look like? What would the people around us be like? How would our neighborhoods, our families change if we just knew like the centurion knew? I feel like if this regular dude who had none of the things that we have, who had none of the power of the Holy Spirit or knowledge of Scripture, if he could do that, then why not us? Why can't we? Why can't we just know? How much would that change everything around us? And how would it change the way that we pray for everything? 
when I think about all of the examples in the Bible of people that I could like think of when I'm praying, I always go back to the centurion. He's the one that just knew. And sometimes I pray the most specific, tiny little prayers that don't even matter when you get to heaven. Like I pray some really weird prayers and I'm like, "Mm, God probably doesn't care about this in heaven, but I'm going to pray it anyway. And you know what? When he answers those very specific prayers, I know that it was him. And that gives me the confidence to pray the big prayers. So let me give you an example of a small prayer that I prayed. I pray prayers like this all the time. And it's just funny to me because my family, we were getting ready to go and run a race, and it had been raining. It rained the day before, it rained the day of, and the forecast said the rain was not going to stop. But that morning, I woke up, and I looked at the black sky, and I was like, Lord, if you could just, you know, open the sky for us right above our heads at 2 p.m. when we're about to run, that'd be great. And I laughed out loud because in that moment, I thought of the centurion, and I started chuckling like, you're going to do it. You're about to do that, aren't you? So we get to the race. We get to that start line, and I kid you not, it's 2 p.m., and I look up, and there is a circle of blue beginning to form above our heads. And we started running that race. We ran the entire race. The circle of blue got larger and larger, and it followed us all the way to the finish line. Now, that seems like a little prayer, but man, prayers like that, when God answers those specific prayers, we know it's him. So the next time you're praying, think about the fact that God, he said, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. And you know what? He wants even more for you than that. And think about the centurion when you're praying. He didn't even know Jesus. He asked him to do miracles. And he just knew he was going to do it. We don't have to pray the perfect prayer. We don't have to pray the most powerful prayer. We just need to know that if God did it for the centurion, then he'll do it for us, his sons and daughters who have the Holy Spirit residing in us.